to Date Night at the Movies. Or How I Spent My Babysitter Money. I'm Jess. I'm Jordan. And this week we're talking Shazam! So welcome this week as we talk about DC's latest release, Shazam. Yeah, um, yeah, we kind of just went on a spur of the moment thing today. Uh, we spent all day yesterday working in the yard and the deal was... Because we just got back from like an overnight trip, so Jess could teach somewhere, and we got back and we were tired, and it was like, well, it's gonna thunderstorm all night, and we haven't mowed the lawn in like five weeks. So the deal was, we immediately go and we take care of all of our landscaping stuff that we can take care of, and then we got to spend today not doing anything. Uh, and then so we were just like, yeah, we're not doing anything. You want to go see a movie? And now we're working. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we kind of messed up that, that plan for ourselves. But we love our audience. We want to give them as much as we can. Indeed. Because honestly, we did not plan on seeing this movie. No. Um, and our friend uh, Tang, when I was... Um, I, where was I? I was out of town, I think maybe in D.C. And Tang um, invited us to go see it at a very nice theater, but we weren't able to go. Um, so I, I just kind of was like, well, we just won't see this. And it being su- a superhero movie and with Avengers Endgame about to get released, I was just like, oh, like how much, how much do I need to see this? Yeah. Um, but I actually, I am actually very glad that we saw it actually. I yeah. think the overall tone of this is going to be fairly positive. Well, and I, yeah. And I think because we went in with our expectations, like we didn't really have any expectations. We were just going to go see a movie. Yeah. I think that definitely helped. Um, I think so, and this is definitely, so if you've been listening recently, we've had a couple of kind of crummy uh, weeks going to the theater, Yeah, and this was an overall very great movie-going experience. Um, This movie is rated PG-13. It is definitely PG-13. Yeah. I will say say that, um, we can talk about that more in a minute, but talking about very specifically this being a great movie going experience uh, we're seeing it on a weekend and the theater was full of a young audience yeah and i think that definitely helped our overall enjoyment of it, it too it completely changed my enjoyment of it because like when i think of thor ragnarok i kind of think of a movie that i didn't really enjoy because it was so much like 13 year old boy humor yeah well we and we also went and saw it at the boozy movie theater too so there were no children oh it was there. like and so to me Sure, I could think it's funny, but that's really not my sense of humor. Mm-hmm. It's just it's just not. Um, and so I don't like Thor, especially because when I think of the original Thor, the Thor one, mm-hmm. that's not who this person was. Yeah. He says funny, witty things, but it's not, you know, it, it's not. It's it's not potty humor. Yeah. And that's kind of what the, the Ragnarok felt like to me. Mm-hmm. This movie really tapped into its youthfulness yeah but it didn't make it ironic it had it it wasn't like it it wasn't like watching shrek where like the all the jokes are double entendres like yeah the jokes were jokes they let it be and they really came from a very it felt like a very genuine place this movie did a really good job of winking at the subject matter because it's almost like they knew okay this is the ridiculous superhero movie that we have to do now yeah like like yeah guys we know this whole premise is pretty stupid yeah but they were they kind of embraced that which i thought was great but yeah like they didn't do the youthfulness of it ironically and they didn't do it as like a parody and it seemed like you know the screenwriters and the filmmakers and the actors really like took a moment to understand like getting in the thought process of a 14 year old kid exactly um Housekeeping. Housekeeping. So first of all, we have one... Knock, knock, knock. 
housekeeping. Are what, you decent? What kind of hotel is this? <laughs> uh, oh, Tommy boy. Um, dog of the podcast is Madison. Uh, she is on Jessica's lap. I don't know if we're going to pick up any of her snoring this time or not. Uh, yeah. Uh, which, when we listened to the last one uh, with her snoring, I I don't think we could like hear it initially. I mean, she's... She's awake currently, um, but for those of you who may or may not have seen Madison in um, videos on social media, this is a web-toed pit bull thing, Picopidemus. Yes. She does have web-toes. Web I know. We didn't we didn't notice that until like this year. We've had her for almost a decade. No, we've only had her see, eight years. All right, yeah. No. Seven. Seven. We got her mm. in 2012, I think. We did. So, Seven. Yeah. All right, so well, anyway, now, now you all know. Now you all know. Um, drink of the podcast is a nice tall can of PBR. Mm. Oh, yes, because it is obviously the beer of kings. No, it's the beer that a kid who wants to go in and buy beer underage would do because that's what they show in movies. So, um, yeah, we're doing it in celebration of that scene in the movie. Indeed. Yeah. Um, let's rate this movie. Uh, yes. I have an idea of how I want to rate it. What would you like to rate it in? I would like to rate it in foam rubber muscle suits. Was his a foam rubber suit? I They had a whole group of people on the cast called suit wranglers. Uh, so I don't know if there was any kind of like Jim Henson puppetry in there or not. Um, I know that Zachary Levi did work out a lot to get in shape for this. But at the same time, it still kind of looked like the George Michael muscle suit in Arrested Development. <laughs> <laughs> totally fair. Th- did you think that at all? No. Okay, well, maybe it was just me. Uh, does that sound like an okay way to rate it? Indeed. Okay. Uh, I'm going to give this three and a quarter. Okay. Why? Why? Uh, well, like always, I start with music. I like the music in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought I thought all the I thought all the cast was great. Um, you know, anytime you see Mark Strong show up as a villain, you know he always does a really solid job at that. Yeah. Um, I thought Zachary Levi was pretty good. Um, I mean, uh, I thought he was good. I, I thought uh, Zachary Levi was great. Yeah. I, that's the thing. It kind of came off like I was saying, well, he was okay. That's not what I meant. I liked him. Okay. Uh, I thought the entire cast was great in this movie, especially the Foster family. I really yeah. believed the chemistry between everybody. Yeah. Uh, and, um, you know, I thought that it didn't overly CGI things, which I liked. Yeah. Uh, and honestly, I just enjoyed it. You know, I laughed when I laughed, but I was never bored. I never wished I was somewhere else. It was a movie going experience that I just enjoyed. Totally. How about you? Um, I'm going to give it three muscle suits. All right. Um, I had a real, I had a really good time. Um, however, I would like to give a five out of five muscle suits to the young, very young gentleman who was sitting next to Jordan. Yes. Um, he was incredible. Mm -hmm. So good, sir at the local NCG. You're hilarious, and I hope you never lose your spark. And I give a six out of five muscle suits to his mother for, or who the the, the lady that was with him, um, for being awesome. Like, mm-hmm. she was, she would, like, she would talk to him, but she wasn't, like, egging him on. She was just, like, letting him live his authentic self. Yeah, like, he would do things like, he's like, that's Billy Batson at the end of the movie. And she was just like, oh, really? Okay. <laughs> and nobody shushed him. No, I was so glad the theater he, just let him be who he was going to yes, be. Yes, he put exclamation points on parts of the movie that really needed them. And, and he was louder than we are right now. 
Oh, yeah. He yeah. was like screaming. He was like he was watching this movie at home. Yeah, I really want to find out who that kid is and get him tickets like Marvel Live oh, or something like that. So for me, this is a very positive movie-going experience. I am wary to give it any higher because for me, I start thinking about superhero movies and starting to unravel. However, this one, it, it was just... You know, it was in its own universe. I know he's going to be in all the DC universe baloney, but um, I really just enjoyed who this character was. And um, there's not a whole lot from this movie that just like sticks out to me. Um, Like I I can't, I can't tell you what the theme of this um, of this one is, Mm -hmm. um, or anything like that. Like music wise, Um, the sound design was you know good. the cinematography is what you would expect. Um, it didn't. It didn't take a lot of like left turns. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it, it made funny nods when it was like, "This is very silly." We are very aware. Yeah, and I appreciated that. Um, I do want to talk about um, for our for our for our, our listeners that are you know this may be your first or second pod with us. Um, we try to design the first part for when you are going to the theater. So I do want to talk about kind of this this movie's pg-13 um the 13 like the the matureness the monsters in this movie are so scary Yeah, there's some legitimately scary moments in this movie yeah like there's um so they release pandora's box in this movie which are the seven deadly sins the one that really got me was gluttony and he's chasing after one of the girls at one point kind of in the climax mm-hmm. battle of this movie and it opened like its mouth, like the its angry mouth opens all the way up, that like down to his navel, and it. I literally went, oh, yeah, and like, ah. and I'm pretty sure the uh, the lust demon was the one with the tongue, right? I think so. Which and they also have her kill a really have lust kill a really frightened woman in a very intimate way. Yeah, like not saying that it's like a graphic sex thing or anything like that, but like. I saw that. I'm just like, oh, this is the. If this were an R-rated movie, I know what they would have done to this poor woman. And like, yeah, it, it was a lot. It kind of felt like there were times that this felt like the violence that Venom thought it had. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was. It was so. It's a lot. So if you definitely have um, a younger audience member that gets nightmares really easy, I think this is done in not like the most terrifying way possible. But it's. I mean, I. I could see myself, the younger version of me, being like, those monsters were scary. Yeah. I mean, this movie definitely earns its PG-13. So so if you have a younger kid who, you know, maybe has issues with nightmares or things like that, you may want to think twice about taking him to this movie because it is definitely not the children's movie that the poster and the previews make it seem like. Yeah. Um, But... But the monsters are great. Yeah, everything felt tangible. They didn't over CGI. They didn't over CGI, and there was no big bad ghost monster battle. Yeah, I as soon as they started, because like there's there's clouds and smoke in this movie, and as soon as I saw that, I was like, they're gonna fight another cloud, aren't they? <laughs> uh, but um, I was glad that they used that as a transition, as opposed to, and now it's the big cloud monster. You can't tell what it is. Your mind couldn't handle it. And yeah. to me, that's just a CGI cop out. Right, but they didn't do that in this movie. They didn't do that, and I, I overall, I, I really, I really liked it. I don't think this movie has invented the wheel. Um, it's it is another origin story. Um, 
but I thought it was very fun. It was a fun origin story. Mm-hmm. Um, whenever he, they're, you know, he, they know he's the superhero and they'd go through like the superhero tests. The way that they did that was really fun. Yeah. Um, I loved the brother um, mm-hmm. in this. You know where he's from? Where? He's from It. Oh, okay. Yeah, he played Eddie in It, the one with asthma. Yeah. Which, you know, and he played that kid like a real smart aleck too. Uh, so, I mean, I thought he was perfectly cast. And I really liked him and the kid version of Billy together. I did, too. I mean, uh, I liked him and Zachary Levi together, too. Yeah, and Zachary Levi did a really, really good job of being Billy. Yeah. Just letting himself be Billy Batson. Because it never felt like he was making fun of being a teenager. He just was. Yeah. And I felt like it was, I, you know, I don't know how... It was really well directed because it was, it, it felt like that same character except only bigger. Yeah. Um, let's talk about the director real quick. Sure. So the director of this movie is David F. Sandberg. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, we haven't done any of his movies on the podcast before, but we went and saw, we've seen both of them. Yes. Uh, the first one was he did Lights Out. Man, and that and the short are scary. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's how, that's how, the short was how he got his start. We yeah. used that as uh, we used that as inspiration when we were making a horror movie once, and we watched that with a bunch of our friends just sitting around a computer, and we were all just like, ah, yeah. Um, but he also did Annabelle Creation, which is very good. Yeah, so that that gives you an idea of this movie, which like was it, another Foster family. Exactly. Oh, I just realized that. Yeah, I did too. Uh huh. Uh huh. And then Lights Out had to do with like estrangement from a mother too. Oh yeah, Ooh. I think we're I, figuring something I out think, about him. I think he might need. I think he might have some issues. Yeah. Or what was it recently? Like someone was like, "Oh, it was the play." So I just did the fight choreography for a play, and they were like, "Oh man, Jodie Foster has some demons." Yeah. Like when you think of all the movies that they're doing, so I feel like Mr. Sandberg has uh, some demons he's working through. Yeah. Well, he's doing them very well, and he's yes. making. It's like Titus says, just make it entertaining, you know. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, no. So this movie definitely like, and he was shooting for this movie to feel like a superhero movie mixed with Big with Tom Hanks, which had plenty of. Oh, there were lots of callbacks to Big in this movie. Tons of callbacks. I actually was prepared. So there is a giant piano at one point, uh-huh. everyone, and I. It doesn't happen. What you want to happen does not happen. Yeah. And I'm going to tell you now, so you, because you, you need to prepare yourself. Because I was like, are they? And they don't. So you deserve to know. Yeah. Um. But uh, and it so it definitely is like a goofy comedy, and it has elements of kids movie, and then there are definitely parts that feel like a classic superhero movie, but there are also definitely parts in this movie that are like a straight up horror movie. Uh. Yes, uh, we will. We will go ahead and warn you. There's a boardroom scene, and things get real, real. Yeah, in th- there. Yeah, like like true, tr- like the the end of that scene mm-hmm. is horrifying. Yeah, well, and like they definitely don't shy away from the camera from like innocent, frightened people being brutally murdered. Yeah, like it's not like gory. It's not gory, but but, but it's, it's scary. It's tonally very scary though. 
It's uh, extremely scary. Yeah, and like like I said, they have uh, they have the lust monster. I'm pretty sure that's the lust monster. Uh, kill that woman, and she's basically crying in its face, and like there's no mercy for that woman. There's so no mercy. I that mean, I mean, they are the seven deadly sins. Like I mean, they're they're not supposed to be merciful, right? But in terms of a movie that people are going to be taking their seven year old kids to see, it's intense. Yeah, so be be warned. But like. It's also in the hands of a very good horror filmmaker. Yes. So for, as adults, like, yeah, it was kind of disturbing to me, but we also just came off of Us in Pet Cemetery. So, like, I'm kind of already in that place where it's like, okay, throw it at me, you know? Right. But so as, as an adult who is also a filmmaker and who loves horror movies, uh, it handles those scenes very well. What I will say is that it doesn't always stick to the landing of stitching the different tones together. Um. Like some sometimes it feels a little tonally all over the place. Uh, I think that's something that you've been having issues with in art in general, mm-hmm. and I, I I have to disagree. I didn't think it suffered in tone. Um, I actually think it did a nice build, considering that the beginning of it, especially when he becomes a superhero, it's all about like, well, you can't make yourself too known because you'll invite the supervillain, which is exactly what they do. Mm-hmm. And um, but it one thing that I think that it having notes of a horror film is that they give you true danger because as he's testing out his superhero powers, there's no inherent danger, right? Mm-hmm. Like we know he's not going to die right. testing out that he's a superhero. We know that. So it's important to bring actual danger into the storytelling and with the monsters in which kind of like there's this horror aspect to it. I mean, there was, danger and I don't know anything about Shazam I know I just know nothing so I really didn't know like how like I, I know that there, there's gonna be more movies and whatnot so I like I know he's gonna make it out but I don't know how and I don't know how well you know and I don't know wow it started storming yeah, here that, out of outside of HQ yeah that rain came down hard and fast uh but I you know um I didn't know like what was going to be the outcome and that gave me actual danger Mm -hmm. so because you do see this very sharp tonal shift especially in the climactic battle where uh, shazam billy really grows up Uh and you see that yeah and i think there had to be there was a couple of switches for him but that was like the big shift when he realizes a lot like it all comes together so i kind of have to disagree with like the jumping all over the place i can i can see that i i can see that maybe i have to rethink my feelings on that well because this is like the i want to say like second or third art thing because you said that about a play we saw recently Mm -hmm. that you're talking about tonal shifts and where they kind of play between dark and light Uh and so i wonder what that is what you're trying to figure out right now because you might be searching for something, so I feel like you might need to figure out what maybe that is. I mean, that is a very good point. I'm not going to make my listeners play armchair psychiatrist, but if you have any suggestions, I'll, I'm all ears. Well, <laughs> I, I, it's worth noting because these things that we've been talking about recently very much have very harsh lines of, of light and dark. Mm-hmm. And what I think this one did successfully is it g- gave you actual danger. Yeah. Innocent people do die in this movie. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, it's got the kind of the DC darkness for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, and, but it doesn't go so dark as like, you know, Batman V Superman or something like that. No, no, no. This is, and this is not even. Yeah. But I, I yeah. will say, I think it handles, I, and to be honest, I have not seen all of justice league because it just, none of it appealed to me. Yeah. Um, 
But I will say, I think this handled the shifts better than like Justice League, which was obviously stitched together by two different, two very different filmmakers. Right. Um, kind of talking about what you said, how things feel real and like stakes are real. I will say we kind of touched on this, but I liked how tangible the CGI was. Yeah. Like everything felt real. There were a few moments, I think, towards the end where I noticed a little bit of Uncanny Valley going on. Yeah. But not in a way that it bothered me. So like to me, it was easy for me to stay into this movie. Like I was never bored during this movie i was never bored yeah i think i think this one might be a little more successful than aquaman Um, i agree yeah and and like that's not me saying like oh now i don't like aquaman because i think i think i can't remember what i rated aquaman but i would keep that just like a solid three it's like yes it's good i wouldn't be mad if i watched it again i'm probably not going to seek it out though no and aquaman like there was just they let like jason momoa be cool Mm -hmm. and like like, I, I don't know why I had to be like, well, I'm Aquaman. I'm cool. Just let him be Aquaman. Yeah. Like, he knew the whole time, his whole life, he's known he's a fish king. Mm-hmm. Right? So, just, like, let him be the fish king. And let him be awesome. He didn't need to have nods. Where this movie is very much the... Um, it, it Actually, I uh, w- just out of the theater, I thought, I said that this was DC's Guardians. Um, I change my mind this is dc's spider-man and that's what i was going to say is i think they definitely patterned a lot of this movie after spider-man far from home okay uh or not far from home uh homecoming yeah far from home is what's about to come out um i don't want to talk about that until the very end totally uh i do think that this they also definitely learned the right lessons from Deadpool in this movie because in Deadpool he's constantly and that's just the nature of that character he's constantly winking at the camera and like commenting on like you know oh but this is just a comic book you know uh this movie I they definitely had a lot of like nods to like other superheroes and kids playing with superhero toys and stuff like that but but it's also in a world where these superheroes exist correct so so it's not like they treat that with like a lot of reverence but it's not like they treat it with a lot of irreverence they they just built that in a part of the world and then it's like these superheroes exist as part of the daily life yeah and somebody immediately went and commercialized it right and they also talk about like shazam is philadelphia's own superhero yeah so it's very much like obviously like there's gotham obviously there's where does superman live metropolis metropolis um, which we all know is Chicago and New York. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really interesting, though, in Batman v Superman. And again, I defend that movie more than most other people you will. You sure do. And it's not like I love that movie. You know, I, I own a copy of it because I bought it really cheap one, one day. Uh, and I've watched it a couple of times. And it's a better movie than people give it credit for. It was up for a couple of Taurus Awards. Yeah. Um, but what I liked how they did there is they basically treat Gotham and Metropolis like New York and New Jersey. Yeah, uh, and so I just I just thought that was really cool. That's really cool how they do that, and that's just the, this little. Although Gotham's obviously Chicago, they need to shut that down. Well, the it's no- not New Jersey. The Nolan Chicago or the Nolan Gotham was definitely Chicago. It, but it is Chicago. Ugh. Um, either either way, I, I only go on on that tangent to say that like that's a little moment of world building that they did there, and then I think Shazam definitely did that in another very tangible and realistic way. Yeah. Uh, without shying away from the ridiculousness of it. Yes, agreed. Um, let's talk music. And yeah. We, we kind of talked about, touched on music a little bit before we started recording this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I liked it a little more than you did. Yeah, I I can't hear Shazam's theme. I can't hear the villain's theme. 
Um, there's not a moment where I felt like the score really stuck out. Um, but I've talked about, it never took me out. So whenever, um, for those of you who've listened to A Star is Born, I really don't like that movie. I don't like it. Sorry, we've lost some listeners. Um, I don't know. Star is Born is still one of our most downloaded episodes. And I, we slam it, <laughs> which is not an intended pun, but Sam McDonald, who's on that, that episode with me, her nickname is Slam. Yeah. Um, I, I just have to remind myself, it's not a reflection on me. It's not a reflection on me that that's one of our most downloaded ones and I wasn't on it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but there were moments where I was really confused in A Star is Born because it desperately needed score because the acting was not good. And it was lost. Like, I felt like the movie was lost. Mm-hmm. However, in this one, I knew when to feel what I was feeling and I knew when things were scary and I knew when things were hopeful. And I think it was just an overall good direction. And I think it was a successful score because none of it was just like, wait, why do I have mixed feelings on this? Which I, I think successful scores do indeed do well because they are they stick with you and they really guide you. So this is obviously not a bad score. I just I can't hear I can't hear it at all. Mm-hmm. I just and it didn't stick out. Usually sometimes I'm like I have to tell myself really listen to the score. Mm-hmm. But I was really invested in this movie. Um, I was also invested into the social commentary from the small person mm-hmm. to your right. Um, but I just overall I can't hear it. No, and I don't disagree with you um, because I can't really pick out what the themes were. All I knew is that within the movie, this felt like a very classic superhero score to me. Yeah. There were definitely very heavy elements of like Danny Elfman's Batman and John Williams' Superman. Uh-huh. And it definitely had like, he definitely did his orchestration a lot like John Williams would. Yeah. Uh, this was done by Benjamin Walfish, okay. who uh, has become one of my favorite composers recently. Um, he did uh, Blade Runner 2049 with Hans Zimmer, and he was kind of a Hans Zimmer protege. Uh, he also did uh, It. He did A Cure for Wellness. Um, That's a bananas movie he, with a great score. Oh, yeah. Uh, and he also did uh, David Sandberg's uh, previous two features, which were Annabelle Creation and Lights Out. And I remember we walked out of Annabelle Creation. We were both like, yeah, the music in that was really good. Yeah. So I have no doubt the music in this was good. Can't hear a single. I can't hum it. I can't. Now, granted, I absolutely adored the score for Captain Marvel, and I couldn't sing it to you right now. Um, right. But I, but I left the theater knowing what her, like knowing that sound, like knowing yeah. if she were to walk through the door right now, I knew what her sound would mm-hmm. be. Um, Captain Marvel is a score that I think sticks out on its own uh, away from the movie. I would like to listen to this one separately and see what I feel about it there. Totally. Um, because like I said, there were a lot, there was a lot that I liked about it, but I don't think your criticisms are wrong. Yeah. Um, for our listeners, because Jordan listens to a lot of scores mm-hmm. um, um, and has been, you know, gotten to borrow. Um, we have friends in the Academy who vote for the Oscars. So they've let him like listen to some of the, their CDs as well that they get. Um, where would the general listener be able to just listen to a score? Like just like listen to a score. Well, the easiest place, uh, the easiest place if you don't like go out, like I know when we were in LA, we had Amoeba, which is where I would go and I would buy film scores mm-hmm. a because you they have a lot of them used there and sometimes you can find some like pretty rare ones like i found a copy of the original land before time before they became musicals uh the james horner one yeah uh i found that there for like 20 bucks it even has like an out of print sticker on there and i was immediately snatched that up <laughs> yeah um 
you know, a really easy place is everybody has Spotify now, and I have some major problems with Spotify just as a recording artist, and I think that there's definitely some things that need to be updated about the way Spotify treats its artists. Yeah. But Spotify has almost everything. So if you wanted to listen to, like, this score, uh, I haven't checked if it's up there, but, like, Captain Marvel's up there. A lot of Ben Walfish's scores are up on Spotify. Okay. So, you know, if you want to hear what we're talking about separated from the movie, then de- spot- that's the first place that I would check. Also, honestly, uh, YouTube. Um, a lot of people will upload upload film scores to YouTube, and then you can just, like, play them like a playlist. Yeah. I mean, uh, that's where I listen to a lot of musicals. Yeah. Now, if you don't ha- if you don't have like uh, if you don't subscribe to YouTube, like pay their ten dollars a month, then you have to put up with commercials every so often. I mean, that's with anything. I don't pay for Pandora. Right. Um, but yeah, so that that's where I would recommend doing that. And if you guys listen to the score by itself, I'd love to hear what you actually think about it. Yeah. Uh, just because, like I said, I haven't had the chance to do it lately. Yeah, and we're coming off of two movies with very distinct scores and distinct sound design, mm-hmm. and this to me just kind of felt like par for the course like you mentioned before like it has to reach a certain level Mm -hmm. to be considered like movie like superhero good yeah um so it's obviously not bad it's just it wasn't like whoa i will say though there was uh, my my eardrums didn't explode right which was really nice the whole movie was mixed very well yeah um i mean and you could hear all the dialogue yeah which i sometimes find is in these really big movies mm-hmm. can be really rare, like to really be able to hear. Yeah. Um, I also felt that way um, from, from Pet Cemetery and us, like really being able to hear dialogue. Yeah. Uh, but this really stuck out to me. Like there was moments where I really, I, um, if you've ever seen a movie with me, I have a lot of moments where I just go, what did they just say? I don't, I have slightly less good hearing in <laughs> one ear doing what I do for a living. Yeah. And um, I will often, especially when there's not good, like very clear diction, which is my pet peeve, people just like letting their words slur. Yeah. Um, uh, especially artists. Well, in a movie full of 14-year-olds too. Right. Yeah. And I really understood, I never once in this movie was like, what? So I, I that was awesome. Yeah. Um, we'll talk, we'll get into one more non-spoilery thing before we take a break. Yeah. Uh, one thing I really liked this move in this movie was the overall theme of how they treated family. Yeah, I um, did too. I, I again, like I said in the beginning of the episode, I really bought the chemistry between everybody. Yeah. Um, I bought that these kids actually cared about each other. Like as soon as you as soon as you walk into the house, I, everybody had their own uh, relationship with each other. Um, I loved the guys playing or the guy and the gal playing the foster parents. Yeah, they were great. Uh, and neither of them were really big names, so I liked seeing that. I like seeing that they got, um, you know, they got a pretty featured roles in these movies, obviously just because, you know, I'm sure their agents worked their asses off for it, but also because it's just like, oh, they must've just had really good auditions. Yeah. And I, I really liked the casting diversity of the foster family. Mm-hmm. And I also had this moment of just thinking, you know, sometimes I have to remember that some of these movies really aren't made for us. Yeah. And I had this moment of being like, oh my gosh, like there's going to be children without families in this very situation who are getting to see a version of themselves 
be superheroes. Yeah. Um, and we'll talk definitely more about that in the spoiler part. Yeah. But like, I liked how they even did this little nod. You know, they the foster family has just one van. It's like one of those 15 seater vans. Yeah. Uh, and it's very beat up and everything. And, you know, their house, it's definitely older, but it's not like a dilapidated house. It just looks like these are people who have dedicated their lives to being foster parents. And they're like, okay, so, you know, we have six kids in here. We've, We'll just make it work, you know? Yeah. But there was uh, that moment where you saw the close-up of the bumper sticker. Yeah. Uh, where it says, you know, I'm a foster mom. What's your superpower? Yeah. And, like, at the end of the day, those two parents are the superheroes. Yeah. And they, def- like, they are definitely painted in nothing but a good light. Even yeah. whenever, like, there's a scene where the foster dad gets really mad at Billy. Well, um, you quickly find out very, very early in the movie that Billy runs away. Yeah, all the time. He's run away from like what six foster homes or something, something like that. Something like that. And so he was, and so he has to have like a dad moment, being like, "You've got, you can't do that, buddy." Yeah, like, yeah. Well, and what I like there too is, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm remembering this correctly, but he's specifically saying, "You can't do this to us." Like, it's not like he's getting mad at him for being a problem child. He's like, "No, we obviously care about you." Yeah. And he talks about it whenever you know they think Billy runs away for the first time because he doesn't know how to not turn how to turn back into his normal self from being Shazam. Yeah, and so he's hiding from his foster parents. And they talk about, well, he he runs away a lot. You know, I ran away when I was a foster kid. You did too. The only difference is we're going to be the people who welcome him back. Right. And you know, it's like. Yeah, it's a little schmaltzy, but I loved that touch in this movie. I think overall it was really great, and yeah. I think it's—I mean, I think it's a great—it's a great reminder, no matter where you are in your life. Like I, I like I often think that it's it's the family that my my family mm-hmm. that is I'm much closer to, and I can be a lot more honest with, and are more honest with me than my actual family at times. Mm-hmm. So I think overall this is, it's a very successful movie. And I think the more movies that young people can see themselves in, mm-hmm. the better the better we're doing. Yeah, and this movie definitely has a diverse cast. Yeah, it's great. Uh, yeah, they and they do it well. And like, you know, I can't really talk about this until spoilers, but like, no matter who you are in this theater, you can, you can see yourself in at least one of these characters oh, and it pays yeah. off in a big way it really does and uh, i mean and i think you made you made a good point like i can immediately think of the character i connected most to mm-hmm. immediately yeah who was that uh mary yeah I, I can totally see that about you uh it's hard for me to say because i have the best and worst traits of a lot of the boys in that movie <laughs> okay uh the um the body dysmorphia of Pedro, uh-huh. uh, the electronic geekiness of Eugene, uh-huh. and also the smart aleckiness that doesn't pay off in the best ways of uh, God. What was what was this? Uh, Freddy. A uh, Freddy. Yeah. So it's hard for me to just just pick one of them, uh-huh. and maybe that's one of the reasons why I just like all the kids. You know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I just thought that was great. Yeah, I loved uh, Darla too. She was such a funny, yeah. like and like, literally like textbook little sister. Yeah, they they did that perfectly. But they also like a lesser movie would have just made her annoyingly perky. They give her a moment of actual humanity whenever she sees that her like the way that she's trying to welcome Billy into their family isn't working, 
and they give her that moment of being really upset. And what I like about that too is that they gave Freddie a moment of being like, no, it's okay. I got this. I know how to handle this. And he just immediately goes into big brother mode for her. Yeah. So, I mean, I think the, the threads of being a family in this movie are, they pay off really well yeah. and they, it's throughout the whole movie. You know, it's kind of like watching like the Fast and Furious movies. Yeah. Because those are completely about family, you it's know? It's all about family. I mean, that whole movie. Like, they tell me all the time, I thought it was about fast cars. No, man. That movie's about family. And if you go to the ride at Universal, you become a part of the family, too. Yeah, you do. So that's why we like going to Universal so much. We're going to be in L.A. soon for Malton Fest. So, like, you know... We'll like go to Universal. You can go to Universal with us, and you, you know, know we'll be like family. When we go to Malton Fest, and I've already talked about how I, given the opportunity, I would fanboy out over Leonard Malton. Uh, but that's where I got that whole that whole thing about Fast and the Furious family is that's that's <laughs> that's part of his review. Is he he's, he says he says the Fast and the Furious movies are about I'm quote not quoting directly but Fast and the Furious movies are all about family. That surprises me. I thought they were about driving fast cars, but they tell me it's about family multiple times in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> and with that being said, let's go on a quick break. We're going to go into spoiler territory and continue talking about DC's Shazam. We'll be right back. Have you ever looked at all those Insta celebrities and been like, where do you get your raw jewelry because it's gorgeous? Or where did you get that female empowerment shirt because I need one? But then you think to yourself, I don't wanna go shopping because it's too selfish. What if I could tell you you could get awesome apparel, awesome jewelry, and it gives back? You need to check out Rock's Jewelry Shop. That's right, Rock's, R-O-X. Rock's Jewelry Shop has amazing jewelry, and I just got a shirt that says, those females are strong as hell. Thank you, Kimmy Schmidt. You can check out Rock's Jewelry Shop online, and with code Date Night, you'll get 15% off. So head on over to Rock's, R-O-X, Jewelry Shop.com, code Date Night for 15% off. And we're back talking Shazam. So uh, we're going to kind of get into some spoilery territory. Uh, is there anything... Trying to get into it. We're diving head first. All right. Can I say one thing that's maybe a little spoilery, but not really? Well, we're already... We're, this is post-break. This is a spoiler-heavy zone. This is the splash zone, so make sure you got your poncho on. Yes. Yes, we are going to shamu all over you. <laughs> <laughs> Ew. <laughs> That also reminds me of another moment I want to bring up in this okay. movie. Okay, so first of all, uh, I don't know if you noticed who one of the executive producers on this movie is. Dwayne The Rock Johnson. That's right. So you want to hear how he's involved in this. Always. So DC wanted him to be involved in their superhero movies. This Because Shazam started being... The Rock is his own superhero, so like, why do we need... To, like, We're getting there. Oh, I did. Okay, continue on. Uh, so... Uh, so and Shazam was being developed when DC was really struggling to figure out what their movies were going to be. Well, this movie certainly isn't going to help them continue how to figure that out. Right. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but they wanted The Rock involved because The Rock is a huge draw, right? Um, so The Rock went on his social media and asked all of his fans, uh, Shazam's like big villain, like his Joker, is someone called Black Adam. And Black Adam's backstory... Yeah, we've played him on the the video the video game. That's right. Yeah, we we are big Injustice and Injustice Two fans here. Uh the video game. Yes, it's the only one that Jessica's ever like. I want to play this. I like the video game. Yes. I want to play Mortal Kombat later. Yeah, well, we are really stoked for the new Mortal Kombat. Let's to come play out. Mortal Kombat all night. All right, I'm cool with that. <laughs> 
the the first one or the second one? I don't care. I just want to fight you in a video game. All right. It's going to be one of those nights. <laughs> video game. So, By the way, I don't like overall, I don't really like video games. Like as... Because I, for many, many reasons, but there's something about whenever Jordan and I, we tag team on certain games Mm -hmm. and those are really fun evenings. We don't do them very often, but I'm all about a story mode fight game. Yeah. So we, we do the story modes for the new Mortal Kombat's and the, the Injustice games. Uh, we tag team on Resident Evil. Oh. Uh, no, that's a strong word, sir. You play Resident Evil. I solve puzzles. and You help me navigate a lot, too. Yes, but I can't shoot the zombies. I get too scared. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we'll just wait till we do the first person Resident Evil 7. No! <laughs> oh, we have that, don't we? We do. Oh, what? Uh, we, but we also this is going to be a weird night. <laughs> we, we, also have, uh, we also have Detroit Become Human, which is very similar to Until Dawn, which I, I got for us. I want, to, I want to fight things. All right. So either Mortal Kombat or Resident 7. Or we need to finish. Okay, back on topic. Shazam, 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 Shazam. <laughs> you, guys, this is how our evenings usually go. <laughs> Whenever um, we're home. Like, we, we have a neighbor recently, and they're redoing part of their house. And, like, we're, in the, like, we're homeowners, so we're constantly doing something to our home. And, like, they were like, wait, you didn't notice? To me, they didn't, you didn't notice like, all of this was going on? And Jordan's like, Jess has been on night shoots for three weeks. So I was like, yeah, I don't know what, like, I still really... Still have to look up what day it is. Yeah. So, anyway, so back to the Rock. <laughs> back. So, oh yeah. So the Rock talking. went on his social media and asked, "Who would you rather see me play, Shazam or Black Adam?" And his fans voted for Black Adam. Interesting. So that was the whole reason why he was like, "Okay, I'm not going to do Shazam." Uh, and so that's whenever they were looking for somebody to play him. That's how Zachary Levi got it. But. Uh, they were originally going to have Black Adam. Although this- Billy Batson as like a young Polynesian kid would have been really that, rad. That would have been really That cool. would have been really rad. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, so they were going to have The Rock as Black Adam in this movie. But they decided that they were going to give Black Adam his own, his own origin movie. Oh, boy. Yeah, I know. But uh, eventually Shazam and Black Adam will, uh, will be fighting each other and it will be played by The Rock. Madison just went. <sighs> yeah. So that kind of bums me out. I think it would have been more. Anyway, I don't think it was the most interesting choice. But what can I say? I'm not a producer on it, so right. And I, I think the probably the reason they did that is because the Rock's brand is being like super good guy. Like the Rock hasn't been a heel since he was. The Rock in WWE back in the early well, 90s. Well, and he wasn't a good heel. Everyone loved him too much. Yeah. Um, cause he, like he kept winning every people's hearts and yeah, he started off playing like super good guy and nobody liked that. Then he started off as the heel and then he kind of transformed back into the face. Yeah. Well, it's like John Cena. They keep trying to make him like a super, super good guy. And it just mm-hmm. does, like, they keep trying, like there's certain people that are, that are what they are. And uh, also John Cena being a heel is really weird. So yeah, I love WWE. Yes. Jessica <laughs> very much does. I love it. Um, but yeah, I think the reason that they probably didn't just introduce him as a villain in this movie is because they want to try and keep it on brand a little bit and have Black Adam be like, they're going to make him morally ambiguous, I think. So that way, like, he can still be Shazam's enemy, but they still have room to make him be a good guy if they want to. Yeah, but ugh, sometimes just let bad guys let be bad guys. Well, and that's what I'm saying is that they probably should have just had The Rock play Shazam. I mean, again, Zachary Levi did great. Oh, I thought he was... Great. I think that Zachary Levi did was directed extremely well to just really play Billy Batson. Like they yeah. never, 
they just like let him and I loved the moments too like my favorite moment is him coming out of the strip club with wings and like that was just a brilliant little boy moment and whenever they're trying to get out of the 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 lair Mm -hmm. um and they're like just imagine somewhere where would you go go to the first place you think of and he takes them right back to the strip club I like died laughing because that is where a 14 year old heterosexual boy is going to immediately think of. And it's hilarious. Yeah. And I, I loved them coming out of there, how they had like Mary covering, uh, Darla's, covering Darla's eyes. Yeah. And be like, why can't I see? Because, just because. And like, he's got glitter. And then Freddie coming out with glitter all over his face. I was yeah. like, stop it. That's terrible. Like, just not nice people. <laughs> <laughs> and then I like how they had Pedro who's just like, not my thing. So like, yeah, I, I like how they all they leave that interpretation open to where it's just like, oh, so he might he might not like girls. That's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He just didn't like strip. Bo- he didn't need body glitter. Yeah. Um, um, so no. I I just think there was really brilliant moments. I think Zachary Levi did a a really good job. And one of the thing I just think there's did we talk about it where we we talked about like the emotional like change. Uh. Yeah, like in terms of like the tonal shifts. Yeah. Oh, they, oh yeah. No, you you talked about that. How like you where you finally it see it like crystallizes for him that this is what it means for me to be a hero and I have to stop messing around. And just like that really like big shift. He's still Billy, mm-hmm. but it's like a really like a true understanding what it means to be a superhero and to really take a big risk. Yeah. And I just thought that was really great. I like how they had how they still had the child Billy throughout this movie too. I, yeah. Um, like I was afraid watching it. I was like, okay, so the kid's going to be in the, the movie for the first half hour and then it's just going to be like, all it's going to be big. Levi. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but because they like made him go back and they allowed him to go back and forth, even sometimes within the same scene and the same fight. Yeah. I like that because that kid was a really good actor in that this movie. That kid was on point. Yeah. Um, and I think I, I, you, you mentioned that one of the, hi Madison, one of the influences was the movie big. Yeah. Man, what an on point, like really on point influence for this yeah. movie. I could, I could really like, I, like I kept seeing it, but knowing that was kind of what was directing him, uh-huh. man, that was great because it, you see kind of what big is struggling with and like discovering in life and how hard it is to be a grown up, and you're really getting to see Shazam deal with those things. So those themes were really strong. What a great directing choice. Yeah. I think David Sandberg is a very good director. Yeah. I mean, cause even like Lights Out is probably his lesser movie, but even that was still really engaging. I scared the poop out of me. Yeah. Um, um, and I just, I just think it was tonally very good. And, um, and I'll say it again is he put actual danger in. Yeah. Like I really wasn't sure. I knew that this was going to be a successful outcome, but to what extent yeah. was it the next movie that Shazam was able to re- like? Mm-hmm. I really didn't know. One thing this movie did really well was allowing you to read between the lines at moments. I say that so the boardroom scene, yeah. where and we've dis- we've discussed the one with the tongue was probably lust. Yes, I got that that was one, that was lust because it was really in that woman's face before he killed her, and like they never once pinpointed out who that creature was, like which sin that was. But I thought they did a really good job illustrating that. Where, like I said earlier, if this were an R-rated movie, I know what was going to happen to that woman. Yeah. Um, so like that moment, I thought it did well. There was also a really great joke in there that they uh, that 
like I think you heard me laugh, and I was the only person in the theater that laughed at it. It's whenever the first Shazam, played by Jamon Honsu, who I'm glad to see him finally get to play a character that's his own face. Yeah. Um, like he was in Captain Marvel, and he was good in that, but we all know where his story is going to end because he was also the same character in Guardians. Uh, and then he was a voice and mocap role in Aquaman. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I think he's a really good actor, and I don't like that people don't give him the chances that he deserves. Yeah, but, but he owns like probably what five houses. Oh, he's all right. Yeah, he, I mean he did Gladiator. He's fine. <laughs> he's fine. Um, but uh, what was I going to say? The moment where he, where he's like, uh, "Grab my staff," and, and oh. he's like, "Ew!" Like the, all, the, all that joke was Bill, the young Billy going, "Ew!" But then after that, he says, "Grab my staff <laughs> and say my name. Then my powers will be inside you." And they don't comment on that. But I'm just like, they just made a child molesting joke yeah. in this movie. That's like it. It's not child molesting isn't brilliant, but the way that they handled that joke in what could be a kids movie was so yes. brilliant. But that's exactly like what the superhero was going to say. Like yeah. he was going to say all of those things, mm-hmm. but I'm so glad they were like, "Yes, this is weird." Yeah, that just having, you were the only person that got that. Yeah, just having him say "you" set the joke up so properly. It was so great. It's not like I think child molesting jokes are super funny, but I think just the. I appreciate the craft that went into having that double well, entendre in I there. I think also, I, I'm, I'm so glad that they put the double entendre in there because, yes, this was an older man talking to a child mm-hmm. that the power was harnessed in a staff and, like, he had to say the name. Like, when, <laughs> yeah. like, I'm sure they were writing it, and I I don't know. I would I would beckon to guess that this joke wasn't in the first draft, but it got read and they were like, oh no. (laughs) (laughs) And again, all they had to do was just add in ew. (laughs) (laughs) I agree. That was a great moment. I think, I think this movie was overall, it was, it was lighthearted. Um, it was lighthearted because it needed to be kid friendly. Yeah. Um, but it was also, it to me felt lighthearted whenever you know that Billy doesn't understand how bad it is. Yeah. Um, but like shout out to the young gentleman that was sitting next to you because he Mm -hmm. would, I mean, he was like, watch out. My, my favorite moment. So, and this is in one of my favorite jokes in the movie is whenever, uh, you know, Billy and the villain, Dr. Uh, Dr. Savannah, uh-huh. Um, they had just been like facing off in the air and then you see them and they're separated by like an entire like building's <laughs> length worth of things and Dr. Savannah's like you have no idea how you can't stop me he's doing like this villain speech and it goes back to Billy's perspective and all he can hear is like the wind and like the cars and he's like what? what? <laughs> and he just keeps on going he's like I can't hear you I can only see your mouth moving are you giving a big villain speech? yeah uh, which I just thought was a great it joke. It was a great joke. Uh, and, but the kid next to me, whenever that was going on, he gets up and he's like, you're a joke, Dr. Savannah. You're just a joke, Dr. Savannah. <laughs> <laughs> I love to. He was like, watch out, Billy. Dr. Savannah's behind you. Yeah. He was so good. So let's talk about the big spoilery moment in this movie, which is that all of Billy's brothers and sisters are imbued with the powers of Shazam. Yes. And I didn't expect them to do that because normally they would be like, oh, okay, so this, we're going to be setting this up as a Zachary Levi movie. But they weren't afraid to let other people be superheroes in this movie. Right. Uh, and I thought it was great the way they handled that because it's almost like everybody got what they wanted out of that. Yeah. Like uh, Darla is, you know, a motor mouth and everything. And she's the one who gets the speed superpower. 
uh, Pedro is really self-conscious about his body and everything. And uh, he wants to get swole. Yeah, yeah, they even say that. He wants to get swole. And he's the one with the super strength. And he's, like, really surprised and excited to find out that in his version, in his version of being Shazam, uh, he gets super strength. Yeah. Um, and Freddy, you know, he's got the uh, handicap on... I, I couldn't tell exactly what the handicap was. I didn't know if that was CP or not. No, cerebral palsy affects more than that. Yeah, I mean, it could it could be a, many things. It's they they never tell you what it is. Yeah, but he's. Given I'm sure the, it's. Is it not in the IMDb trivia? Uh, I didn't see it when I was looking okay. it up. But uh, but he he had that handicap, and whenever he's his Shazam, he gets the power to fly. Well, even more so, that was the that was what he wanted. Whenever in the beginning, he's like, "If you could pick a superpower, what would you pick?" He goes, "I would choose to fly. Why wouldn't you choose to fly?" Yeah, and he talks about, fl- or he he initially talks about being about wanting to choose invisibility because then you can spy on people and nobody notice. Then he has that speech halfway through where he's like, you know, you don't even you don't even want to notice me anymore. Nobody does. I'm just the invisible kid with the with the handicap. Mm-hmm. And then he gets his power to fly, which is kind of like their way of showing like, oh no, he was just putting on a front. You know, he wanted to say that he wants something that isn't doesn't make him different than what he is now, but really that's what he wants. Right. Uh, and then, uh, and then like Mary is kind of like the den mother, and she kind of has like the, the like the super intelligence and things like that. Uh, and then uh, Eugene, Eugene, yeah, he's like very, he's the tech one, and he's the one who can shoot lightning out of his hands, you know. And Billy gets all of those, but I thought it was great that they that they kind of made it to where everybody gets what they want at the end of that movie. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, they they had some they had some names that I recognized uh, as their older or as their superhero versions of themselves. Uh, one of them was Mary's version, who I thought it was just the same actress because she was. I thought so too. Holy yeah. moly! Yeah, no, that was Michelle Borth, who uh, she's been in a few things. Um, I can't think of anything off the top of my head, and especially well, I can, but they're not things that a family friendly audience would know. Uh, well, what's one of them? She was in this uh, TV series on HBO called Tell Me That You Love Me, which was about like five different couples. Yeah. And it was also a very, a very sexually explicit show. Well, it's HBO. Exactly. Uh, And that's where it kind of, that's kind of where she got her start. And unfortunately she kind of got pigeonholed into uh, roles like that. So, I mean, she was still a babe in this movie, but it it was nice to see that they weren't just sexualizing her. Yeah. Um, And then uh, Freddie's superhero version of himself was Adam Brody. Was that Adam Brody? Yeah, I I knew again. I knew I could play some, but I couldn't tell who it was. No. Yeah, it was Adam Brody. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Well then. Um, what did you think of Mark Strong as the villain? He's great. Yeah, he's he's always a good villain. He's always a good villain. And, and he, I think I've heard him talk about too how he act he actively likes playing villains. I mean, why wouldn't you? Now, this was Mark Strong being a villain. Mm-hmm. Like it wasn't like. Well, I've never seen this before, but I thought it was really like his, basically he was holding on to the monster of envy Mm -hmm. the whole time and come like, you know, it was, it was a grounded villain and he was angry and vengeful. Mm -hmm. And I mean, the first thing he kills is his brother. Yeah. Throws his brother out of a window in front of a room full of people. It was insane. Yeah. So, I, and I just thought it, I just thought those choices were really interesting. I also thought so. Whenever they um, Shazam pulls Envy out of uh, Doctor Servana 
and like he's hanging on he picks him up and and i love when he's like let's go get your buddies yeah and i was like buddies (laughs) um uh I, I thought that was really great. You have to take over talking for a second. Um, the pig is heavy. Okay. Uh, yeah, I will. All right, 54 minutes. <laughs> I, I got to make sure to cut all these noises out uh, with Jessica moving the microphone stand. Uh, I kind of missed us. Uh, I kind of missed us recording upstairs. It was very comfortable in the kitchen. Yeah, it was very comfortable. It's just too much work, though. Yes, and there she she is her true self upstairs. Yeah. Here she is, calm Madison. Um, upstairs, Madison is takes all of our toys out of our toy box, mm-hmm. Madison. Uh, earlier today, she had taken her blanket out and it got trapped around her. And she came, <laughs> she found her way over to me and kept like bumping into me to be like, "Please take it off." <laughs> I trapped. Um, no, well, and what? What I'm realizing too about this movie, back to the movie, back to the movie, um, is you know we're in spoiler territory. There was really only that one spoiler, so and that's not a criticism because like you know, like you said, this movie does kind of go the beats that you think it's going to, with the exception of them giving six other people superpowers and introducing six new superheroes. Right. Um, but I kind of like it about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I like that like they don't ever like they're their names. Mm-hmm. I love it when he's like, "Grab the staff and say my name," and they're like, "Billy." <laughs> and he's yeah. like, "No, the, no, the one that I say to turn into me." Yeah. Um, and I love that he's like Captain Sparkle Fingers. Like I like, I like that they just kind of let this universe be its own universe. I mm-hmm. love that the other superheroes exist. Like they're not ignoring it. It's not weird. Yeah. You know, um, I like that he's Philadelphia's superhero. Um, so I like that they made these choices and that it's a reality and it's not a, it's not a scary reality. Like we're not in X-Men territory, which I also appreciate. I, I like the fact that this movie, it doesn't take a lot of different twists and turns. It's a movie that just allows you to show up and watch it and enjoy it on its own terms. Yeah. And, and we've had some crummy movie going experiences recently and this was very lovely. Like it was full of young people who were laughing and having a good time mm-hmm. and were like, oh no, oh no, at all the right moments. Yeah. And I mean, it really wasn't until the end. Um, and I love how he re... I love the way that he recaptures all the seven deadly sins yeah. and how they get their lair and like how I just liked, it wasn't like so shocking to me that that's how all of this came about, mm-hmm. but I really liked the manner in which they did it. Yeah. I think that this was a movie that knew what it wanted to be and went headfirst into doing it and succeeded very well. Um, I think that it's a movie that you can just enjoy. I don't necessarily see us seeking this one out much, but no, but if somebody was like, hey, do you want to come over for dinner and watch Shazam? Yeah. I'd be like, I mean, okay, well, I would like to see my friend. And I, you know. I can see this one more than something maybe like Aquaman. Of, yeah. Of being one where, like, let's say if we're flipping through the channels and it's on HBO and we're just like, hey, we want to watch something. Do you want to put on Shazam? I don't see either of us necessarily being like, yeah, let's do it. But I don't see either of us being upset that Shazam is on. No, and like, and for me, like Aquaman, it's like this big. Nothing was grounding all these battles. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I mean, the big rooftop scene is up for a couple of tourist awards. And that one, that one was legitimately awesome because it was real. And mm-hmm. instead of like this giant, like weird fish battle that we couldn't quite comprehend, and even though there was this was like a superhero battle, you know, there was definitely like some risks to it. Like we had people losing, mm-hmm. um, you know, I was just doing some fights for a movie. And one of the things that was lacking is the heroes not winning sometimes. Mm-hmm. And, um, 
and that's something that's we had in this movie. Yeah. Um, you know, you have Shazam running away to turn into Billy because he doesn't know how to win and he doesn't know how to do these things. And so it was kind of great that in, in even these big battles that there's struggle and there was growth and learning and, um, and I don't know, it, I, this to me was a better story. Yeah. I think even though this one tonally and thematically might be a little over some younger kids' heads, uh, I think that the, that the lessons and morals that this movie has... Uh, is yeah. is very good, and it's very good for a younger audience. Yes, I can definitely see someone younger this being their favorite movie. Yeah. Like, that kid next to us, clearly this is his favorite movie. Yeah, that kid is going to wear out his DVD copy. Yeah, oh, yes. Yeah, or Hun- whatever people buy them on nowadays. I know, streaming, whatever he streamed it on or yeah. buys it on Apple TV. But, yeah, what... I think that this, and I think that a lot of people can be seen. I love what you said. I feel like everyone can find who they they connect with. Yeah, and everybody can see themselves be the underdog and the superhero in this movie because all at the same time. Yeah, exactly. Because these characters get to be the underdogs and superheroes. Um, and every like all the people that you're supposed to root for are superheroes. Yeah, and I also loved, you know, and it was so interesting to follow, and you know. The beginning is so different. Like the what you understand from the beginning of the movie to what the movie is is completely different. Mm-hmm. It is definitely some you know exposition. Yeah. Um, but it was so interesting to watch Doctor Servana become Doctor Servana, and then you kind of forget about him for a minute. Yeah. And then he comes back. So, so talking about villains. So again, this guys, this is a superhero movie. Stay for stay for the credits. Oh my gosh. 95% of our theater left. Yeah, and it's like, have you guys never been to a superhero movie? Yeah. But um, but at the end, Dr. Savannah's in his cell, and he's you know trying to recreate the sequence to let him get back to the lair. And, yeah. Uh, and then all of a sudden we see a caterpillar with a fancy belt on. Uh, and like a walkie-talkie. Yeah, and then uh, he's, kind of, he's kind of basically setting it up for them to team up. And I didn't know who that was. In my IMD being, apparently that's a villain called Mr. Mind. Okay. Yeah. I don't know if Mr. Mind sure. is the ca- caterpillar, if the caterpillar is a vessel for Mr. Mind. Sure. Um, that's no ca- clue. Yeah. That, that was definitely a moment where it's like, okay, you have to be a hardcore Shazam fan. And I'm like, I don't think I know anybody who's a hardcore Shazam fan. I don't know. Even amongst- Tang. Tang. Oh, yeah? Tang, tell us. Um, by the way, interesting fact. So Shazam's... F- original name back whenever he was created in the 50s was Captain Marvel. Really? Yeah, I think at some point they changed DC changed his name and then Marvel created Captain Marvel. And then Marvel and cuz comic book rights get mixed up all over the place. Okay. Somehow I think Marvel ended up with the rights to Captain Marvel. So uh so yeah, so Shazam it's in- is is so funny. Yeah. that this is the right story for yeah. that. Yeah. But it Whenever they announced Brie Larson was going to be Captain Marvel, uh, apparently one of the headlines from like Hollywood Reporter or somewhere like that actually said, Shazam, Brie Larson's going to be the new Captain Marvel. Like, it, oh, it, funny. It, they just got everything mixed They're up. They were like, wah, wah, wah. Yeah. Um, no, I, I, that's funny. That's mm-hmm. so interesting. Um, what other IMDb did you learn today? You know, a lot of it was just like different connections and stuff to different comic books, which means that not having ever really been a DC fan, uh, you know, I don't know enough to really say. Uh, there was the Annabelle doll that was in the pawn shop. 
Yes. Uh, apparently, there was all the Annabelle doll also showed up in Aquaman, which uh, I didn't catch. I didn't catch. Yeah, but because again, David Sandberg's last movie was Annabelle Creation. Um, did he do Aquaman? No, but James Wan did. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Uh, and well, I remember seeing, uh, like whenever people first saw the previews for Shazam and they were kind of being haters on it, uh, James Wan really came to David Sandberg's defense and was just like, trust me, I just went through the same thing with this on Aquaman. People are just going to judge it straight up. Uh, you've made a really good movie and you are the right filmmaker for this. I agree. Mm -hmm. I think it, I think it was the influences were in the right place. And also I'm just getting kind of sick and tired. You've heard me say this on the podcast before, but a movie is not the comic book. Mm -hmm. and it, it is not the book, and it is not the animated. Like, a movie is its own device. I mean, you can see this in the Joker baloney that's going on right now, which... We'll can see it. Well, no, but I'm just, like, fr I'm, like, frustrated with DC right now. Yeah. The Joker is such a scary character, and when we've seen it done so successfully, you know, and I feel like... And we, I talked about this in Pet Cemetery. It's like we need to stop relive, like putting actors through trauma. And I feel like this character has such a disease over it. Speaking of the Joker, and like we don't need to keep. This is a very interesting character, mm -hmm. but I, um, and Alexander, who's been on this podcast before, uh, you could hear him on the Nun episode. He talks about like the Joker is such a specific. Thing. And I don't know why we keep trying to recreate this very, very sick person. Mm -hmm. um, and I just, it's just so weird to me and I don't get it and I don't know why. Yes, we'll probably see it because like it, it Joaquin Phoenix is also such like a grade A weirdo. Like I've, but I don't know if I want to keep celebrating people being sick on set. Like why, like I feel like we're not keeping our actors safe to recreate this really dangerous character. Yeah. Um, and I, and just because an actor is in danger doesn't mean I'm going to enjoy it. Like I, I'm just kind of tired of it um, personally. Yeah. Rant. I, over. I, I can get that. Um, let's see. So one thing in here uh, in the IMDb of trivia, they say Alan Alda, F. Murray Abraham, Michael Keaton, and Tony Shalhoub were being considered to play the wizard Shazam. Which for all of, or it, all right, they said the wizard Shazam. All I saw was play Shazam. And so I was like, oh, that just goes to show that this movie's been in development for a long time because Alan Alda playing Shazam? Weird, but for the wizard. For the wizard, yeah. So that, that wasn't as funny as I expected it to be. Um, <laughs> at the very end of the movie, in the mid-credits scene, I want to talk about the credits specifically. And yes. that's something I teased a little earlier. Let's talk about it. Uh, well, real quick, so the scene where he gets Superman to show up at school. I love it. Yeah, so obviously it was only shown from the shoulders down. Uh, Henry Cavill originally really wanted to come in and play that uh, play that cameo, but he was busy shooting, guess what, Mission Impossible. So they couldn't have Superman with a mustache there either. <laughs> oh, heavens to Betsy. Um, but it's interesting, though, because Henry Cavill has officially stepped away from playing Superman. I don't blame him. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a lose-lose scenario right now, but he and Affleck are both out. Um, this so movie hurt Affleck. Whether he was good at, at in it or not, mm -hmm. it sounds also, because we keep, keep being brought up in popular culture right now in the aught 19, um, that Ben Affleck is, as we, it's coming full circle, Ben Affleck's dealing with some demons right now yeah. and some bad tattoo choices. I think he needs to step away from Batman. Yeah, well, he also became Batman right around the time whenever he split up from Jennifer Garner. So Which, come on, man. I, I can't, uh, and like trying, you know, like, 
decisions that were made from there, I obviously am not a part of their relationship, I can't say, but like trying to, I know that he like basically moved into the guest house on their property so he could be close to his kids. And like, I remember once his son wanted to see his dad be Batman and beat up the FedEx guy. So he apparently gave him like 300 bucks and was like, can you pretend that I just hit you or something like that? So like, he's obviously trying to go through a lot and keep his kids together and all that good stuff. But like, I can't imagine this role has many good memories for him. Um, no. And it just, I think sometimes when we look at our careers, um, and what it takes away from us, mm-hmm. um, I've definitely here recently have been up to bat for like, do I fight for something or do I not? Mm-hmm. Um, and in an opportunity. And I think sometimes, you know, and this goes for any, anything, you know, we just happen to work in film, but like, do are some opportunities worth taking? And I mean, you and I are willing to risk a lot, Yeah. but you know, if things start to turn sour, don't keep being like, well, just like one more movie, babe, and it'll get better. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, and I'm still very much of the opinion that Ben Affleck probably makes one of the best Bruce Waynes out of all the Batman. Yeah. But it sounds like too, it comes from, from life experience. Yeah. Well, his Bruce Wayne is also like the saddest Bruce Wayne. Right. And I think this Mm -hmm. is Ben Affleck at his saddest as a human. Yeah. We should not use work as therapy. (laughs) In the words of uh, Laurence Olivier, try acting. It's easier. And if he's not acting, which we don't know, we're not best friends with Ben Affleck, which we know you listen. So if you need help, you're always welcome. You want to just come hang out, you know, have a, well, I I know you're uh, sober, but you know, have a coffee with us and talk movies. Let's do that. Um, DNATM is a safe place. Mm -hmm. So for anyone. Um, and so I, I just, I'm really uncomfortable with the idea that that might actually be Ben Affleck yeah. and it does not make me enjoy it. It actually makes me shy away from it all even more. Well, at the end of the day, I think DC is trying to figure out what they want to do with those characters they've already established anyway, because I don't, I think they're starting to realize that those types of movies didn't really work out for them. Right. And they can't, like, I'm so glad Shazam is what it is, but, like, don't start trying to be what, Mar- like, Marvel really e- exploded because of Guardians, mm-hmm. right? We all loved Guardians. Yeah. Well, they, but then they, everything started being Guardians. Well, so, kind of. They, Marvel was pretty successful, and then the Avengers came out and made a billion dollars. And then, and then they did Guardians to kind of try and rejuvenate that. Which was successful, but then not everything is Guardians. Right. Um, so I'm hoping that what I'm basically trying to say is I'm hoping DC is trying to find their own breath. Yeah. Um, I think they are definitely on the right path because they're finally, they're finally starting to let some filmmakers with a different point of view, uh, make their movies. Like, you know, they, they became so dark, uh, I mean, again, they learned the long, wrong lessons from Christopher Nolan. Right. Uh, Because Chris Nolan answered a lot of questions and, he gets a lot of he gets a lot of criticism for not having enough humanity in in his movies. That's, I, that's baloney. Yeah, that is absolute the most asinine thing I've ever heard. I think I can see like he comes to the he comes to human nature from a very clinical point of view, but it's in there. Um, and I think that his Batman it wasn't just dark for being the sake of dark. It was no let's talk about this. What drives a person to do this? You know, right? And then you know he helped Shepard Man of Steel, which I just. Everybody's allowed an unsuccessful movie, um, ugh. but Zack but Zach Snyder came off of Watchmen, which by its very nature had to be super dark, 
And it just kept getting darker and darker for him. And then they were going down that road with Suicide Squad. And then they were like, Guardians came out. Let's try and redo that. And that movie was just all over the place. Smoke monsters. Smoke would, would you agree, would you agree with me where I say there that that movie had some definite tonal problems? That movie had all the problems. Yeah. It had all the problems. It, all. Right. But now what I'm saying is that they're finally starting to give things like, you know, Patty Jenkins doing Wonder Woman, where even though the ending of that movie kind of falls apart, uh, Wonder Woman is a great movie. Yes, the end of it, smoke monster. Yeah. Stop fighting smoke monsters. Um, and then, uh, you know, James Wan doing Aquaman, which I think that was probably the best possible Aquaman movie there could have been. I agree. Uh, and then David Sandberg doing Shazam. You know, I think they're finally starting to, I mean, 15 years too late, catch up to catch on to what Marvel was doing right from the beginning, which was, you know what? The, John Favreau, you know that guy who did Swingers, right? Let's have him do Iron Man. And the first, the Iron Mans are great. Yeah. And then, are like, and then great. Thor, that's a pretty interesting movie. What if we get Kenneth Branagh to do that? Right. You know? And it was perfect. Yeah. So, and then, you know, in the next phase, they're like, you know, the Russo brothers, you know, they did the shows from Community and Arrested Development. Let's give them Captain America. Yeah. So I think that DC is going to kind of start to uh, figure that out on its own now. Right. Now, here's what I wanted to say about the credits. Let's do it. So the credits are, as soon as we hit the credits, I was like, oh, they were trying to do Spider-Man Homecoming in this movie. And looking back on it, it's totally very similar. And I will be say, I really like Spider-Man Homecoming. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure if, I don't like it as much as I did Spider-Verse. But Spider-Man: Homecoming, I have well, but Spider-Verse is its own thing because when we talk, um, if you haven't listened to our episode with uh, Daniel Evans, do yourself a favor because mm-hmm. that is some BTS, yeah, heavy behind the scenes there's, for he, Spider-Verse. There's so much great stuff. There's in there. so much good stuff. Um, but Spider-Verse was trying to look at the story from a new light and as a comic book, and, and it it succeeded so well. If yeah. you guys have not seen Spider Verse, see Spider Verse. Yes, also because it's an example of a medium telling its own story. Right, right. So I don't. I think I, I think Shazam being closer to Homecoming makes more sense. Like Homecoming, though, I have I have willingly watched multiple times, mm-hmm. um, and I really like it. Now, where it, where it all kind of started usual suspecting for me at the end of this movie, and I started to put it together, are the credits. Because the credits of this movie are like hand-drawn animations, like somebody would have drawn in a note, like a kid would have drawn in a yeah. notebook, with a Ramon song playing. Spider-Man Homecoming's uh, end credits were hand-drawn animations in a notebook with Blitzkrieg playing in the background. Really? Yeah. Crazy. So, so for me, I was like, if you guys wouldn't have, wouldn't have called attention to it like that... Because that's the only time in a in a Marvel closing credits where it's something like kind of quirky and unique like that. Um, so as soon as they started playing the closing credits, it was just distracting because I was like, "Oh, you guys just did Homecoming, right?" So I that's the one thing I wish they wouldn't have done, right? Either not do the Ramones song or uh, not do the closing credits in that style. Because if they would have just done one or the other, I would have probably recognized the similarity, but I wouldn't have immediately been like, "Oh, that's exactly what they did." Yeah, you know, if you want to play like a uh, if you want to play like a punk song, like it's gonna be a lot of real like energy, and apparently that's what the kids are listening to. I guess the Ramones are making a comeback lately. Um, I mean, I'm not mad at that. No, I love the Ramones, but uh, it was just a little too similar, and it immediately made me be like, "Oh, they were doing their version of Spider-Man: Homecoming." Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. 
again, that's a minor little quibble. If they might, if they might not have done that, I think I would have been fooled into thinking that it was a little more unique than it was. But because they did it the yeah. way they did, it immediately made me be like, oh, this is them doing this. The final scene where he's talking to the goldfish, do you think, so, because I loved Freddie being like the superhero coach. I think that was a really good, I thought that was really fun. Yeah, I, I, felt very, again, I love the three of them all together. Yes, and I, it was very, it felt very kick-ass to me at moments. Because uh-huh. um, I love, we were talking about earlier, like, that's kick-ass, the first kick-ass is perfect. Yeah. Um, where I... I'm curious in the timeline, was that like test about the fish before Freddie becomes his alter ego? I was wondering if that was maybe like a deleted scene that they had to cut out for pacing, but they put it just tagged it into the credits. But, but I, I just thought because those are usually like, this is what's next. Yeah. It's like you kind of need this scene to watch Justice League. I and I, they didn't do that, and it really I was like, but or did they? I don't know. It was a really weird end credit scene. Yeah, I think. I mean, they've already established that Aquaman, Superman, and Batman exist in this world. He's wearing an Aquaman T-shirt at that point. Yes. So I think that that's a way of just kind of reminding you that you know this is a shared universe and it might cross over with other characters at some point like i think they're definitely leaving the door open for them to do like another justice league movie uh and shazam could be a part of that gotcha um i i kind of lean more towards that that was probably a deleted scene that they put on at the end of the credits yeah um purely just because if that were in sequence then freddie would have had his own powers then too so like right, but that's why I just am confused by it. Yeah. So like I think that uh, I think that at that point Freddie doesn't have his own powers, and Freddie doesn't have an understanding of what all Shazam's powers are. So I think that that takes place earlier in the movie. It just it kind of breaks the rules of the end credit scene, and so I was just kind of like, what? Like save that for the DVD. Yeah, I I will say though if that is the case, and it was a scene that they had to cut out for pacing issues or something. Um, I will say that I do, I do like the fact that the director may have been like, but they're just so good together that I, I just want to yeah. give them one more time to also shine. Also fair. Yeah. Also fair. Well, we're at the point of the episode where um, if you happen to have followed us all the way to the end and still haven't seen this movie, would you recommend it? Yeah, I definitely would. Again, be careful with younger kids. You know, There's some scary moments. Yeah, if your kids... Or, ha- or be open to have the time to talk about it. Yeah, if your kids have issues with nightmares, or I know like when I was younger... I had, you know, I spent so much time alone at my house for various reasons uh, that my a- imagination would get overstimulated and I would have problems like even just walking upstairs because I was like, no, Michael Myers is up there waiting for me. Right. So maybe if you have a kid like that and they're younger, you may want to consider taking them to see this. But overall, like, I think this is a this is a good movie. This is a great movie for 10-year-olds especially. Oh, like yeah. 10 and 11, I think, is a perfect age for this. Uh, and if you're an adult and you just like superhero movies, then yeah, I mean, this is one that we both went into with no expectations. We didn't, we had no desire to really see this movie. Nope. We went in and we both had a really good time. Yeah. What? So do you, overall, uh, do you th- feel the same way? I, I do say, I feel the same way. I feel <laughs> my microphone is moving. Um, by the dog um i think it's a i think it's just overall a very fun and successful movie i think it's a good family movie um i think this is something that would be very fun for you know multiple age groups to see mm-hmm. um and especially for your for the soup the more y- the younger i mean the the kid sitting next to you had to have been like between six and eight years old not very old at yeah all. he was not very old 
And he never at any point was like cowering in a seat. I mean, he was on the edge of his seat the entire time. Kids weren't making fun of this movie. They were totally engaged. Mm -hmm. So this was definitely speaking on a truthful level. We had no like idiot teenagers being like, that's stupid. Um, Which I just sounded like Emma Stone in SNL. (laughs) Big, fat, hot dog. Um, So... Um, it, like overall, I just thought it was a really successful movie and I think it's very fun. And I think that this, this is a good family night yeah. movie, but also be, just really fun. Yeah. We may be overthinking the scariness of this too. I don't know. Those, those monsters were scary. Well, no, like not in terms of like how scary they were, but just in terms of like, well, is this appropriate for children? Like, I think it's totally appropriate for children, but those monsters, the, 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 <laughs> the pair uh, I know Madison the um, Pandora's box being opened was truly the horrors that people talk about when Pandora's Pandora's box gets opened yeah like that like let's I think in our society we do a really good job of being like that's not that scary mm-hmm. oh that's not that scary but like when we started really talking about pet cemetery and the horrors of losing your child like that's a really scary movie yeah so I think we need to stop making things not so scary when they really are. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we should go back to the days whenever you could do a movie about talking mice and it was really The Secret of Nim, which was a terrifying, mentally scarring movie, you know? Right. So I think, I know, oh my God. So that, so Nim was the, I think, production design um, uh, uh, influence for the movie I just got off of. Oh yeah? Yeah. There's lots of Nim all over the place. Interesting. Yeah. I don't know the overall arc of that. They don't give me the script. Yeah. They, they don't give stunt people the script. Yeah. Well, that's a movie we'll probably do on this podcast, but uh, we may have Jessica be the guest on it. Yes. So um, with all that being said, I think um, you should go to Shazam. I think you should have fun. I think this is a really fun movie if you just want to go have fun. Yeah. Um, it's, it's really lighthearted. There is definitely a place in society for movies that you don't necessarily have to just always think. Like, well, what's it really mean? And overthink things. I think this is a movie that you can just go and enjoy on its own terms and leave. Very similar to what you were saying about the score, is that it worked very well in the movie, but then whenever you leave, you you weren't just like, oh, I'm seeing this and I'm seeing this. It's like, no, it is okay just to go see a movie and have two hours of fun. Yeah, and I like, and we're talking about like these monsters, but I think I'm just very aware because there was a moment that we looked at each other and we're like, these monsters are scary. Yeah. And I think overall it does brilliant things in the tone because it makes you go, maybe not everyone's going to make it out. Yeah. And I think that's important in, in storytelling. So it's a really good story um, and it takes you on this journey. But the only reason I'm still talking about it is because we do this podcast. Otherwise, I think I would have moved on with my life and we would have already started playing a video game tonight. Yeah. All right. Well, I think having said that, we will go on ahead and sign off. Well, thank you so much for joining us this week. Make sure to follow us on all the social medias. Um, I'm also on my personal social media at Jessica E. Bennett, which you can find very easily on our Instagram. Um, I'm actually doing a live, uh, this will already have happened by the time this episode comes out, but the live video will be available. I am going live on Instagram to talk about being a stunt professional and answer people's questions about it. Um, so if this is obviously after the fact, but that live video will be available on my personal Instagram and we'll try to do our best to make sure it's available on the date night social medias. Yeah. 
Well, and I know, uh, I mean, I've heard you say all this stuff before, but I'm really looking forward to you getting to get out there and let other people know about some of this stuff. I think you have some really good insights to it. Um, so that being said, I'm Jess. I'm Jordan. And thank you so much for joining us at Date Night at the Movies. See you next time. Thank you.